I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. It's been a while since my last podcast episode. I actually posted an episode for a couple days, but then took it down. I had to take it down to protect somebody, to help somebody. I use real names in this podcast, which makes it authentic, but also makes it dangerous. And being completely honest, I've been struggling to produce content as I'm working through something, as I'm working through a personal tragedy. And I've been kind of wondering, how do you work through something that devastated you? How do you work through something that serious while the entire country is working through something devastating as well? And I don't really know the answer to that question. So as I've been framing new stories and thinking about new arcs for an episode, I realized that I needed to produce this, the Complicated Gifts episode. First time I rode on a motorcycle, I was four years old. My cousin Johnny was 16, and he put me in front of him on his dirt bike, and we cruised up and down the trails and roads of Pitcher Canyon outside of Wenatchee, Washington. I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world. And for the next few years, I tried to talk my parents into renaming me officially, changing my name on my birth certificate, to Jeff John Blue, the motorcycle man. I thought that sounded so much more American than my name. Jeff John Blue, the motorcycle man. So I would wrap my shins and my forearms in toilet paper, and I would put on a bike helmet, and I would cruise around the house and all over our land as Jeff John Blue, the motorcycle man, raging on my dirt bike. And as I grew older, I was obsessed with all kinds of motorcycles. It evolved from dirt bikes. First, I was in love with 100s and 125s and 250s. And then eventually, all I wanted in the entire world was a Kawasaki Ninja, something that I could run 100 miles an hour between stop traffic during rush hour on I-5. I thought, if I had a Kawasaki Ninja... I would possibly be the most amazing person on the entire planet. By the time I enrolled at the University of Oregon as a freshman in college, I'd written lots of motorcycles. I was a freshman on the wrestling team at the U of O, and a graduating senior was leaving town, and he owned a bored-out Honda CM400 which he described as a 750 in a 400 frame. He asked me if I wanted to buy it from him, and I test drove it, and it was heavy and fast, and I loved it. So I bought it from him. 
and I cruised that motorcycle all over town. But I was never safe when I rode motorcycles. I didn't drive slowly. I like to get way out in front of traffic off of a green light, just gun it out there into the open road, go as fast as I could without getting pulled over. Or I'd head out into the country and just rage, drop through the gears, see how fast I could get going in a two-lane highway out where nobody else was. When you talk to riders who haven't crashed yet, They always talk about their own skill. Say things like, I'm not going to make a mistake. I know when I need to slow down. I'm not going to crash into something. I'm not going to lay it down on the freeway. I know when to hold them. I know when to fold them. Things like that. And that was me for a year and a half. In the spring after I turned 20 years old, I was at a red light coming off Agate, going on to Franklin Boulevard. And I was in the lead when the light turned green. So I just dropped through the gears, first, second, third, fourth, popped it up to 55 to drop the cars off behind me and to get into the open road. And then I was cruising Franklin Boulevard in the right lane So I was coming up on Louis' Chinese restaurant. Obviously, I had my eyes up, scanning the road in front of me, and I saw a Ford Explorer coming out of Louis' parking lot, way up ahead of me, and it was going slow into the right lane. So I cut across into the middle lane of the three, but the Ford Explorer angled, going straight across the lanes, and I'm coming up on it fast. I've let off the gas, but I'm still going at least 50. As the Ford Explorer goes into the third lane, and so do I. There's nothing to do. I'm going at least 45 miles an hour right as I come into the back end of the Ford Explorer. The driver, an 84-year-old with poor eyesight, didn't leave a gap. There was no way I could rip past. And since he drove straight across the lanes and I was still going 45, it was like I was going 45 into a wall. When I plowed my motorcycle into the back end of his SUV, I jumped slash was catapulted over the corner of the back of the car onto the grass median, which was sloping and had trees in the middle. According to observers who called 911, I flipped five times. Head, feet, head, feet, head, feet, head, feet, head, feet. Cracked my motorcycle helmet. But I missed four trees. I slid and flipped past four trees. And when the accident was over, I was on my feet. My neck and back were so strong from wrestling, training, practice, and matches that I didn't sever my spine. The force of being thrown going 45 miles an hour 
was so powerful that I never could even lift my hands above my head as I was flipping. So I didn't dislocate my shoulders. Because I went in a straight line, I didn't tear any knee ligaments or my hips. I didn't break my ankles. I had a cut on my elbow, blood on my legs from my knees, from scraping against something at some point. But that was it. When the paramedics checked me out, they said I was completely fine. And the next day I was on campus when these two girls ran up to me, said they'd been the ones who watched the accident, who'd called 911, and they thought for sure I was dead. But I wasn't. And I realize now, that man cutting across the lanes, that 84-year-old with poor eyesight, who probably should have lost his driver's license years before. That man saved my life. If I hadn't wrecked that day in that perfect way, if I hadn't totaled my motorcycle into the back of a Ford Explorer, if I hadn't completely annihilated the bike, a bike that was totally beyond repair, then I would have kept driving fast. I would have laid it down going a hundred on some rural highway. I would have slid across the center line. I would have hit a car head on. So in a way, losing that motorcycle was a very complicated gift. As I've been struggling personally and with everything going on in our country right now, honestly, I've been depressed for the first time in my entire life. I'm usually a hopeless, hopeless optimist. I'm an extrovert. I love being with people. And I feel like this time period in history has almost seemed like the death of optimism for me. I've had to talk to people, friends, kind of work through stuff this summer. Like I've never had to before. I've been in a dark place. But just this last week, with the help of some of my friends... I realized that there is a complicated gift to everything going on as well. One of those gifts is actually that you have an opportunity to look at other people's critical thinking skills. I can find out who my true friends are, who calls me as I struggle, who checks in on me. But also I can think who do I want to have in my life? Whose opinions do I value? And that's been difficult for me, trying to discern which friends are better for me and which friends I might need to let go. Who's really there for me and who's maybe only a friend in the good times? That's not a decision I normally make. 
as an extrovert and an optimist, I kind of think everybody's great and everything's going to be fine. But everyone's not great and everything's not going to be fine, at least not always. So I've become a little more realistic lately, I guess. And as I've become a little more realistic, I've examined some strong opinions of some people that I really thought were important, that I thought were intelligent, and that I thought mattered around me. But to make it broader, let's look at some of the more shocking opinions that are commonplace in our country right now. For example, let's start with an obvious one. The coronavirus is a hoax. It seems like this isn't too complicated to debunk, yet a huge portion of our country believes this one. The coronavirus is a hoax. And I just have one question to ask those people who actually believe that. Right now, there are 213 countries on the globe. 213 countries struggling with the coronavirus and COVID-19. How do you get 213 countries on board with one hoax? With one joke, with one trick. How do you get 213 countries to agree? 213 governments, 213 populations, doctors and nurses in 213 countries. How do you get them all to talk about the same thing? Or the corollary. Theory number two, the coronavirus and COVID-19 are a manufactured catastrophe to get Trump voted out of office. (laughs) Uh, Again, how do you get 213 countries on board with one plan? As QAnon says, one plandemic, one scamdemic. 213 countries are in on this hoax to get Trump voted out of office. How do you get Bangladesh and Ghana and Azerbaijan to care enough about Biden versus Trump to fake virus and death statistics? Third, uh, the virus is human-created biological warfare and that it is not actually from animals at all. Honestly, with this one, okay. I mean, humans are crazy enough to create creepy stuff like this. Humans do create biological warfare. So, sure, the virus is human-created. But that still doesn't make sick people any less sick. It doesn't make dead people any less dead. So my question for that one is, what do we do now? The virus is here. What do we do now? 
Fourth, so many people I know have posted on Facebook, we've never shut down before, why now? Which just means, sadly, that they don't read history. Um, We've shut down so many times before. But even if you're not a U.S.-centric thinker, let's go way back in time to the plagues in Europe. During the 16th century, over and over, all public theaters and gathering places were closed. Over and over, places were shut down because people understood, even more than 400 years ago, that if you've got a virus, if you've got a plague, if you've got something in the community that can spread human to human, you just don't get crowds together because it's not wise. Along the same lines, I watched Breitbart's America's Frontline Doctors video that they released yesterday, saying all the hoax theories with COVID-19 and touting the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine. And I thought it was really interesting that the so-called doctors in that video who were talking to a pretend crowd because the crowd never clapped or cheered because there was no crowd, and I did watch the video, they were talking about how they have cures for the coronavirus. So we need to focus on using the cures, not stopping the spread. Now, uh, my dad is a doctor and my mother-in-law is a nurse, and they are a real doctor and a real nurse, and I've been around doctors and nurses my entire life, and no real medical professional says we should just let people get a virus because we have a cure. Every single medical professional I've ever met has worked first on health and prevention, has encouraged healthy living and prevention of diseases rather than the spread of disease and then the use of medicine. That is something completely different, something touted by absolutely ridiculous doctors on a fake Breitbart news flash video yesterday. Sixth, here's another theory that we hear and we see and we read posted. Masks are a symbol of fear and division. They don't actually help. Well, if we go again to history, 102 years ago, if you just look up Google images of the Spanish flu, the first thing you'll notice is that everybody's wearing masks. Because germ theory is not new. Germ theory is sixth grade science. And I don't believe that these people who are posting anti-mask material actually believe it for multiple reasons. One, that would mean that every single person who's quote-unquote right-wing is too ignorant on germ theory to attend medical school. 
If you go to medical school, and in medical school, you try to go in and observe a surgery or something like that, and you refuse to wear a mask because masks aren't medical, they're a symbol of fear and division, you just won't be allowed to be a part of medical school. So I'm supposed to believe that these anti-maskers are all too ignorant. They're all too stupid to attend medical school. I don't believe that. I think they're choosing to hate masks because they're a political symbol now, which is crazy. Making something that's medical or scientific political is crazy. But also, I don't believe it on a personal level. Because if I just take my one friend who keeps posting anti-mask material, if I take him and I say, okay, your daughter is going into surgery. Do you want the surgeon and the nurses to wear masks? Or do you want them to spread whatever germs they have to your daughter while she's in surgery? And 100% he would have the surgeon and the nurses in masks because it would protect his daughter. Yet, he won't wear a mask to protect other people. The other thing is, these same people, these same unmasked people, are the people that we see in pictures and videos, the unmasked white male holding the All Lives Matter sign. So medically, let's look at that. If all lives matter, why aren't you wearing a mask to protect the elderly? If all lives matter, why aren't you wearing a mask to protect the immunocompromised? If all lives matter, why aren't you wearing a mask to protect people with diabetes or with heart disease or with lung issues? Because those people, those compromised people, are in more danger. And if you're healthy and you're strong and you're possibly asymptomatic carrying COVID-19, why, if all lives matter, aren't you protecting other people? But really, what we're talking about with all lives matter is race. And again, that's disingenuous as well. Because all lives haven't mattered in the United States since 1619. For 401 years, we in the United States haven't treated people with African heritage in an equal way. We have enslaved people in this country. We enslaved people from 250 years in this country. And then after enslavement, there were the horrors of Reconstruction. And after the horrors of Reconstruction, there was sharecropping, which was an evil, just an evil system. And after sharecropping, there were the Jim Crow laws, which were evil. And then we have the opposition to the civil rights movement. If all lives matter, civil rights shouldn't have had to be a movement. And then people still saying all lives matter as police brutality is much more significant in the African-American community. 
All people are not treated equally in our country. All lives are not treated with dignity and respect in the same way in our country. But still, we have people with freedom of speech holding signs saying all lives matter as if that's what they actually believe. Finally, these same people are saying we should have sports, an open economy, and all kids in school. And look, I love sports. I love being able to buy a fish taco. And as a teacher for the last 19 years, I absolutely want kids in school. And I want to build community and relationships with my students, which is only truly possible in person. But if you love sports and you want an open economy and you want kids in school and you're posting about those things, then you should be on the front line of the pro-mask movement. You should be saying, I understand 140-year-old germ theory. I understand that this is medicine and epidemiology and not politics. So everybody wear your effing masks so that we can have sports, so that we can have an open economy, so that we can have kids in school. Just recently, President Donald Trump compared himself again to Abraham Lincoln. So let's look at that. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. And Trump, while a former Democrat, was elected as a Republican. So in that way, yes, Abraham Lincoln and Donald Trump are very similar. They're both Republicans. Abraham Lincoln was born in a one-room cabin in Kentucky. Donald Trump was given, a, in his own words, a small $9 million private loan from his father. Abraham Lincoln went to law school and studied history. Trump has never studied history or attended law school. Lincoln served in both his state and the U.S. legislature before becoming president. Donald Trump never held any government position or served in any governmental way before being elected president of the United States. Lincoln, in 1860, inherited a United States that was the most divided in its entire history. This was the beginning of the Civil War. Donald Trump divided a country further with his rhetoric and public proclamations of conspiracy theories. Abraham Lincoln was in excellent physical health, and it is on record that he never lost a wrestling match in his entire life. On the other hand, let's picture this. Can you imagine President Donald Trump being successful in any physical enterprise at all? Can you imagine Donald Trump winning a wrestling match? Or this, Abraham Lincoln was threatened in letters and in person 
with hanging, decapitation, and immolation being burned alive. This was all before President Abraham Lincoln was shot in the head and died. Whereas Trump says he is the most hated president in U.S. history, while there have been zero assassination attempts. Also, Abraham Lincoln is hailed by Democrats, Republicans, and Independents as the greatest president in U.S. history. Whereas Donald Trump, on December 7th of 2019, declared himself the greatest president in U.S. history. But let's compare their writing. Let's end with that. President Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation and the Gettysburg Address. Since the Gettysburg Address is shorter, I will read that tiny speech aloud to you here. This is Abraham Lincoln. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as the final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little know nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Abraham Lincoln November 19th, 1863. On the other hand, President Donald Trump has never written one of his own speeches. He has speechwriters. He's also never written one of his own books. He has ghostwriters. So, I have no choice but to read his own writing on Twitter, which is his only writing. To be fair, I'm not cherry-picking at all. 
I'm just reading three tweets he wrote yesterday. The first tweet. So disgusting to watch Twitter's so-called trending, where so many trends are about me and never a good one. They look for anything they can find, make it as bad as possible, and blow it up, trying to make it trend. Really ridiculous, illegal, and, of course, very unfair. Tweets two and three go together, so I'll read them as one. This is also Donald J. Trump from July 27th, 2020. The fake news media is trying to portray the Portland and Seattle protesters as wonderful, sweet, and innocent people just out for a little stroll. Actually, they are sick and deranged anarchists and agitators who our great men and women of law enforcement easily control but who would destroy our American cities and worse if sleepy Joe Biden, the puppet of the left, ever won. Markets would crash and cities would burn. Our country would suffer like never before. We will beat the virus soon and go on to the golden age better than ever before. Finally, during this depressing time of division, anger, overt racism, and a complete lack of federal leadership and compassion, we still have an opportunity to love our neighbors, to take care of those around us, to be empathetic, to stand up for what is right, to support marginalized communities, to recognize that black lives matter, to proclaim the necessity of equality and to deride the hatred of or fear of the LGBTQ plus community. We also have the opportunity to engage with great art. And since I'm a writer, I want to dedicate this podcast episode to the great writers of my lifetime. Dedicate this to Toni Morrison, Cormac McCarthy, and to Jhumpa Lahiri. Thank you for listening to the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. And my-